Welcome to episode 202 of the Formula One Grid Talk podcast. Today we're here to preview the 2022 Azerbaijan Grand Prix. My name is Ruby Price and joining me today we have Sophia Richmond from Everything F1. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, Steve Jackson from Formula Shakedown. Good morning. Good morning, good afternoon if you're in the UK. And sports writer Louis Edwards. Hello. Hello. Uh, first, if you enjoy this podcast, we'd love it if you could take five to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll shout out all of you who do to say thanks. And if you're one of the 69% of people that aren't yet subscribed to the channel, please consider helping us out with a like and a subscribe. Uh, but before we get started looking at the race, the big news for this week was that Sergio Perez has signed the contract extension of two years with Red Bull, taking the partnership up to 2024. Louis, as the only driver to look comfortable in that second seat since Danny Rick left in 2018, this has got to have been the right decision for both the driver and the team. Yeah, Checo's been doing a, a mega job since he joined Red Bull. And I think, you know, for a driver who had been waiting, you know, for so long to get a top um, a top drive in a, in a team where, you know, race wins are possible, he's really taken it. He's done an amazing job, um, not only as kind of a wingman for Max at points, but also he's done great for himself and he's got himself um, some good race victories. And last week in Monaco, I think it showed very clearly that he is um, up for the job at Red Bull. And yeah, I think it's I think it's brilliant that Checker is going to stick around. Um, he's a real contender for this uh, this year's championship, which I don't think a lot of people would have thought of, uh, thought about uh, before the season but uh, no he's doing a great job and I think it's it's well deserved yeah he is only 15 points off the current championship leader Max Verstappen which you know at this point last season we'd basically written off Checo's chances of you know fighting in the championship for 2021 uh, Sophia um, obviously you know we know that his position in that team will, for the most part, always come second to Max Verstappen. It's the way the team's been built around. And he seems happy with that arrangement so long as, you know, when he is leading a race, he's allowed to at least have the chance to win that race. Yeah, definitely. I mean, given the previous race about team orders kind of coming into play, and even Max has said in post-race interview after Monaco, he is a contender. Like, yes, he is his teammate in the Constructors Championship, but he is still a contender. Like, it is coming to, it is a three-way battle right now. It could be four, potentially, which is a great thing to have. It's funny with the clip just before they went on to the uh, podium in Monaco and Perez went to Christian saying, I think I signed too early. We all knew it was going to happen then. And as great as, as it is, it does mean, though, obviously, like, rumors about Gasly trying to get into the Red Bull team again and everything for that. It, it now kind of puts a doubt on where Gasly can be this season as well. But Paris has been doing absolutely amazing. Like, no foot wrong to some extent, minus qualifying um, in Monaco. But he, he's doing what he's meant to be doing as technically the second driver for Red Bull. Yeah, and speaking of Monaco, Steve, in the aftermath of Checo's win, um, we obviously saw some comments from Jos Verstappen saying that Red Bull made the wrong decision to not prioritise Max. Like, obviously, you know, this is what Jos is going to say, but um, do you think, in hindsight, Red Bull were right to prioritise Checo or, you know, at least let them race? Who's Jos Verstappen? <laughs> Sorry. Um... He's a very <laughs> over-entitled father. 
He was that he was that bloke who just circulated around the back for a few years, wasn't he? Um, no, I. Nah, they basically have to prioritise the driver on the winning strategy at the time, um, and you know, typically a race like Monaco, where especially where we had weather factoring in quite heavily this year, um, <laughs> understatement. Um, but especially when you've got uh, you know weather and and. You know, you know, basically just a, a slightly off form weekend for your, you know, for the constructors' championship rivals, uh, Ferrari. Um, you just have to take take advantage of what you've got. And Sergio just had Max's number for the whole weekend. I don't think there was any point where he was looking overly threatening in terms of pace. So, um, no, I think Yoss is entirely wrong. Um, I don't really pay much attention to what he says anyway. So it's you know, it's basically like beating my head against a brick wall trying to you know, decipher any, anything intelligent from him. Um, but, you know, being diplomatic uh, from a team perspective, they I don't think they can afford to spotlight Max when he's got, he doesn't really have a right to, uh, you know, be favoured on strategy when Checo's doing the better job, which he, which he did. Yeah, that is certainly true. Like, it did seem that Checo just got on the pace in Monaco right from the start, you know, almost as a sort of, like, backlash to what happened in Barcelona. Um, but, you know, moving on to Azerbaijan then, uh, Louis, Checo obviously won last time out. He won the previous Baku Grand Prix after a spectacular tyre failure for his teammate and a revelation about some magic brake buttons for the Mercedes. Um, he's going to be taking this momentum forward to Baku, isn't he? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I, you know, Checo is absolutely riding a high at the moment. You know, Monaco is, you know, considered the, the biggest Grand Prix you can win in Formula One. It is reason why it is a part of the triple crown of motorsports. And now we go to another street circuit. Yes, it may not be as tight and twisty, and maybe not require, you know, as much, um, you know, absolute direct concentration to uh, to get around a lap of Baku. You know, he's he's still going to be feeling great and just being, you know, going into another weekend, he's had his fun. Um, I don't know if anyone saw <laughs> the the videos of him getting off the yacht in, in Monaco. Um, but, you know, he's had his fun now and I think he'll be he'll be back down. He'll be back down to, um, to work. And, yeah, as you mentioned last year, he did a great job. And if Red Bull, again, have another competitive car, you know, with the long straights, it may help uh, Red Bull sort of conquer that sort of slow corner sort of advantage that Ferrari have. So we could see another competitive uh, weekend from Red Bull. And if they are competitive, then I expect Checo to be up there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Sophia, um, Max Verstappen, obviously, as I mentioned, had a bit of, a, like I say, a spectacular accident last time around in Baku. Um, obviously, last time out, finished a race and didn't finish first for the first time in a long time. Um, but, you know, what do you expect to see from Max Verstappen this weekend? Yeah, like last year was, it was just crazy because obviously the situation with the Pirelli tyres and it was no fault through his own um, that crash. I think he will perform well. Will I think he kind of take top spot or pole? He did have fastest lap last year of the race prior to his crash. So I think he will be in a good contender for the top three, maybe top five. Um, but that is if like Red Bull have 
the car for it and it's good for him. It, the straights are going to be interesting. Obviously, Baku is quite an interesting track. It's one of my favorites, actually, especially as a street track as well. Um, but yeah, I think he will do well. It just will see. Team orders might even come into play if we have two good Red Bull cars. And going back to like the previous discussion about Paris as well being the number two, if Paris is way ahead of Max, will Horner ask um, Checo to let Max pass? That's going to be a kind of a crucial thing because again all the points are on the table as well it's still a battle every point counts for this race for sure so it's it's something gonna be one to watch for sure yeah absolutely steve ferrari did well to an extent here last year um charles put it on pole um signs helped him reach pole position um you know with a very well-timed red flag um how do you see Ferrari faring? Obviously, they need to kind of bounce back from the strategic blunder of Monaco, but also, you know, just a poor run of form overall, I would say, over the last couple of races. Yeah, I was waiting for the Ferrari top-tier tyre strategy to uh, to rear its head again. Um, yeah, look, I, they just need to sort of control alt delete and just move on from that. And I think the less brought up about that weekend for both drivers the better because i mean we know what some you know what certain reporters and that sort of thing are like they like to sort of hang on to the dramas rather than looking ahead so um yeah i wouldn't be surprised if their even if their media limited media um obligations and that sort of thing are fairly limited or controlled because they basically just need to you know sort their crap out really and 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 have another go um i mean having a look at uh like especially leclerc's because uh, he, he's obviously been with ferrari for a wee bit longer than than carlos but um never been on the podium uh azerbaijan obviously qualified pole last time out but um finished just off in fourth was it fourth yeah um so yeah, I mean, it's never. I don't. We don't really have a huge spread of results from Azerbaijan. We've only been here since 2016, so um, and we obviously missed 2020. So we don't have a huge spread of results. Um, they've never won here. I think it's always been either Red Bull or um, or Mercedes. So um, there is that. You know, there is a. I suppose there, there would be a bit of emphasis on them sort of getting a win under their belt, but really they just need to especially support Charles's championship title, but obviously not forget about the fact that they actually have two very competent drivers. And um, yeah, that, basically they need to have a, a strategy in place that will sort of benefit both drivers and, you know, there'll be mutually assured uh, benefits regardless of the outcome. But we've seen what Ferrari's sort of strategy calls and that sort of thing are like. Some of them are accidental. Some of them are pre-planned and just bizarre. So who knows? Um, could be great. Could be terrible. No idea. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately they'll just be hoping to bring both cars home in a good place in qualifying. Yeah. Ideally, front row for them. But, you know, I think they'll take, you know, one three, one four along those lines. And there's, and there's no gravel traps here for Carlos either. So, safe. Yes, it did seem that, you know, he managed to perform quite well without a gravel trap last weekend. Um Louis, he, just found, see... he just found Paris instead. <laughs> yeah, Louis, do you see um, 
Carlos Sainz potentially grabbing his first win for Ferrari tomorrow, not tomorrow, this weekend? Um, I, don't, I don't know. Carlos is, is, is a, he's a weird enigma this, uh, this season of the fact that he has some great performances, but then he is just constantly played by these issues. And as you as you mentioned earlier, you know, he had a crash in qualifying last year. You know, so qualifying really is one of attrition here at Baku. God knows how many red flags we saw last year. Um, so I don't know, he's just, he does need his lucky break. He, he needs that one weekend where things really do go well for him and he then gets that bit of confidence and he then can sort of strive on for the rest of the season. But I have a feeling it's probably not going to come this weekend. I think I think that it's just going to be... Back is not our track and it's it's one that can throw up great racing and just boring racing at the same time. It's, it's, it's a weird one. And I think... I just don't think... He's gonna. He has enough for it. I, while I, I do love Carlos Sainz, I just there's something about. I don't know. I can't explain it. There's something that's just making me feel like he can't. He won't. No, not he can't. But he just won't this weekend. I think. I think the other three drivers that in this championship battle maybe just a bit too good for him. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, but then again, it was last year where Sergio Perez got his first win for Red Bulls. But you know. I guess it all depends on what happens ahead of him, if there is anyone ahead of him. Um, Sophia, let's look at Mercedes then. So, as was mentioned, I believe by Steve, like Azerbaijan in the past has mostly been a Mercedes, you know, dominated track for the most part. You know, I think um, it was 2017, 2018 when Daniel Ricciardo got a win, um, mostly because um, the Ferrari and Lewis came together for some apparent brake testing but um obviously they managed to get a handle on their porpoising in barcelona there was a different cause of bouncing in monaco um but you know they were apparently fastest on the straights in barcelona there is a massive straight in azerbaijan do you think that could benefit mercedes or do you think you know they might suffer again with the more streety sections of azerbaijan yeah, so it was 2018 with uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Um, I think, I don't know, because when people are now saying, oh, it's a Mercedes-dominant track, it's a Red Bull-dominant track, it's turning out to be the opposite sometimes. Um, even last season as well, sometimes that we thought were more Mercedes-dominant tracks turned out to be Red Bull's favor and vice versa. So I don't like using that term anymore because especially now with how they are performing, it's very high, high, and very low, low. Like we see, there's no kind of middle ground at the moment. Yes, Barcelona did help because they kind of sorted out their test, um, their porpoising due to like a filming that they did the day, like a couple of days before. Apparently that's what was the making to find out what was going wrong. Um, I think it might be a little bit similar to Miami with the porpoising with that, long straight so i think there will be some for the mercedes not as bad as previous races but i think yeah i i think it's gonna be good this might be now again as we mentioned like it is mercedes kind of dominant track this kind of will show where mercedes will be for the rest of the race i think especially now we're going into race eight we have done a third pretty much of the race already we're coming up to the third of the um race already depending on how you see it 
they need to get the foot on the pedal. <laughs> like, sorry, I had to put that analogy in. Um, I think they need to get it in and get it sorted because at the moment, they're not there for the drivers. They're only there for the constructors. And having George be Mr. Consistent, finishing uh, top five every single race, I think is great. I think he still has a chance potentially this, uh, this weekend coming. It, it's going to be an interesting one to see for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And Steve, there was um, a good talk fireside uh, earlier this week regarding Lewis Hamilton. Um, the question obviously is, you know, is he is he still in a fight at all for a championship? And just in general this season, like, you know, how have you seen Lewis Hamilton being? Um, to answer your first question, no. Um just think it's too little too late and I mean that's a shame because it sort of takes away from I don't think it takes away from his achievements necessarily but it sort of it it puts a bit of water on the uh on the 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 fire that is the talent that is Lewis Hamilton um uh I've made it pretty clear in the past I'm not not a Lewis Hamilton supporter certainly don't hate the guy I'm just I just support other drivers um, but he's just an absolute machine. So I, it's, it is strange writing him off, but I think that's genuinely just, yeah, there's, there's still too much inconsistency. He's clearly not comfortable with the car. Um, I mean, uh, like Monaco's a pain in the ass track to pass at, but the fact that Fernando Alonso basically parked a bus in front of him for the best part of 40 laps and just wouldn't let him pass, he had, he had no answer for it. Um, and Baku, while it's still it's still wider. I still think the Mercedes is going to struggle here. I think it's actually going to struggle more than most other tracks. I mean, you know, uh, it's, you know, could be proven wrong, but by the time you reach turn 20, um, you're doing well over 200 Ks an hour and that's where the porpoising and that sort of thing starts kicking in and having to square off those corners and that sort of thing with a car that's basically bouncing around. It's just not going to, grip's not going to be consistent and the thing's just going to lock up. But, um, you know, for for Lewis especially, I think it's a, it's probably going to be a bit of a challenge mentally more than anything. You know, knowing what you've achieved and then being so far off the mark, and it's not necessarily his fault. Um, I do find it interesting the people who used to say it's never the car, it's always the driver, are now blaming the car for the poor results, and that is part of it. But it's a, it's always been a driver and team combination, um, and that's there's clearly a disconnect there which George is able to get a little bit more out of, but it is pretty evident that the car is a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure we'll see Lewis re-sign another contract at this point, purely because I, I, I wouldn't blame the guy if the, if the motivation is at an all time low. Um, and I honestly think that would be a loss for the sport, but it would be a gain for what he, whatever he decides to do next because he does apply himself to whatever he's doing very, very well. Um, for the here and now, I think Baku might just be a bit another learning opportunity for them. It is a good circuit in that it does give them the opportunity to test um, their, you know, their right, you know, various ride heights at high speed. How the car is going to um, perform with just sort of straight braking zones into squared off corners. You don't really get much of an opportunity to trail brake here, so they could get some reasonable um, and usable data for for the rest of the year. Um, but yeah, I 
I'm sort of on the fence about this one. I, I I'm not expecting much, but if they if they turn around and they they you know if they get both cars in the top ten or you know top eight or top six or whatever it might be, I think that would be that would be encouraging considering what we saw at Barcelona. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Louis, moving on to McLaren uh, P4 and the constructors, um, a pretty good weekend from Lando Norris last time out. A disappointing weekend from Daniel Ricciardo, which is very much the uh, trend that we've seen throughout 2022, to be fair. Um, but some actual uh, contract news that came out this week was that Daniel Ricciardo is the person in the arrangement that has the say on whether he can leave the team early or not. Um, so I think that is one of the things that can kind of like put a couple of rumours to bed, but ultimately it comes down to whether Daniel's, you know, comfortable with how he's performing. Um, do you think there's any chance whatsoever of seeing a strong performance from Danny this weekend? I mean, he's, he's, he's enjoyed Baku in the past. This is certainly the ca- uh, been the case. He's, he's had some great races here, including, um, his win in 2017. Um, so it's entirely possible uh, that we could see a bit of a resurgence from from Daniel Ricciardo, um, but it, I think it's clear that he's not comfortable with the car. I, I, I don't. Uh, when it comes to this sort of debate around Daniel Ricciardo, whether it, is he good or is he not good enough, I think it's half the fact that he has you know uh, someone who is incredibly talented in the other, in the other car and also down to the fact that he himself is not fully comfortable with driving this car to its limits like Lando is I don't think this comes down to driver performance or driver skill we all know just how good Daniel Ricciardo is so I think you know, running around street circuits is, you know, the ultimate test of how comfortable a, a driver is with the car. And that was very clear last weekend where he clearly was well off the pace of Lando, who, as you said, you know, had a good weekend. But I think for Daniel, this this um, this is going to be, you know, hanging over his head, this whole talk of whether he'll leave McLaren or, you know, will he get kicked out early or will he you know, what his future is always going to be hanging around his head because that's what it's like in Formula One. As soon as there's any doubt in your seat uh, and in your position to hang on to that seat, people are going to start asking questions. Journalists and the media are going to do what they do. They're going to speculate. It's going to be in his face all the time. And it's just going to be about how he deals with it uh, off the track and then how he hopefully will prove us all wrong on the track. So I think what Daniel just needs to do right now is just start to close that gap to Lando. You know, start looking a bit more consistent, start looking a bit better. We have to also remember that Daniel's had his fair share of bad luck with um, with mechanical issues um, this year and the McLaren hasn't been the best car, um, not like what we saw last year. So I'm willing to keep cutting some more slack for the time being, um, but if things start to get worse in his... Uh, gaps of Lando starts to increase, and that's when I'm going to start asking questions. Yeah, uh, Sophia, Lando Norris is very much on 48 points in the championship, which is only two behind, um, you know, seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton, whereas uh, Daniel Ricciardo being on 11 points, um, tied with Yuki Tsunoda, uh, who certainly himself hasn't set the uh, field alight. But, you know, Louis touched on this, you know, the McLaren isn't, 
as good a car fundamentally as it was last season. It's not as, you know, railed down. And I think it's shown by, you know, how much they've kind of struggled to be the presence on the podium that they were last season. Um, I think it was here Lando Norris last season ended up on the podium, or am I thinking of somewhere else? But It, it is somewhere else because Gasly finished third. Um, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, going back with the Daniel Ricciardo thing, and like he's had two years with this contract now, almost two years. You would think something should click by now. Um, and with how well Lando has been doing it, as you mentioned, 48 points, it, it is proving that, yes, he is at the moment driving the car better than Daniel Ricciardo. And given, obviously, while Daniel Ricciardo's had mechanical issues, Lando's had health issues. Um, and I, I don't know. I've been on the fence about Daniel Ricardo and like the rumors about like driver swaps and everyone leaving or like him leaving, going somewhere else, the FEA riding on his helmet after qualifying in Monaco. Lando has this season so far proven that he is deserving. I, I think he just, I think he is driver number one now in McLaren, which might be a little bit bold to say, but he has proven himself even last season as well. Like, he is doing well for the team and driving this year better than Danny in a car that's meant to be very challenging and still proving, doing the points, getting the points. Like you said, 48 compared to the 11. That 11 came from Australia and one other race, if I can't remember where the other race came from. <laughs> or was the 11 points just straight from Australia, I think? I want to say Barcelona for some reason. I don't think he got mm. points in Barcelona. No. It had to be one of the earlier races, I think. Wow. Shows, <laughs> shows the prep time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, Lando right now is doing well. He's proving himself as probably the top driver for McLaren. And I think I think he will get points as well this um, coming up to Baku as well. And as Louis mentioned as well, streets are proving where the drivers will push to the limits and Lando has been pushing the limits a lot this season already. And I think street tracks are becoming one of his favorites because he is performing quite well on street tracks sometimes as well. Um, but yeah, uh, McLaren's a weird one because you have, they're not equal at all. Whereas like Mercedes, there's a difference George over Hamilton, but they're still very close with each other. Whereas Danny and Lando, it's quite a big difference. And even, Alfa Tori's doing the same thing in Alfa Romeo. It, it's quite a surprising one uh, to see. Yeah, it was Imola that Daniel Ricciardo got his uh, other three points. And it was uh, Sebastian Vettel that I was thinking of that ended up on the podium <laughs> as well in Baku last season, which, I mean, you know, Strange. to pull something like that out this weekend coming up, you know, that will be one hell of an achievement um, for you know, the Aston Martins that have definitely not been performing well this season. Um, but Steve, uh, on to Alfa Romeo, currently P5 in the championship. Very much thanks to your favourite, Porridge. Yeah, well, when you say one hell of an achievement, I think this is a 
right up there. Um, bit of a one-man band at the moment, um, and that's no offence to Joe uh, Guanyu at all. He's obviously still finding his feet. But, he, I mean, you know, both drivers are, I think, um, you know, uh, sort of, you know, showing showing a lot of respect to that team by putting in the, the sort of equivalent efforts that they're, or the respective efforts that they're doing. Um <sighs> Yeah, I, I'm not sure how Bottas feels about all this. He's probably very, like, I, I imagine he's very, very pleased, but he probably wasn't expecting the upturn in performance that Alfa Romeo have had. Um, part of that is down to the power unit. Um, obviously, it's, you know, all the Ferrari power units, uh, well, all the cars with Ferrari power units in them uh, performing, you know, far, far better than they did last you know last year especially you know Haas and you know the the uh, factory team as well um but the other side of it is is the Alfa Romeo is just a very very good car overall um especially with the fact that I think it is the shortest car and I think it's one of the lightest it should go well around um uh around Baku but then again I said the same thing about Monaco um a wee while ago I was expecting the uh the Alphas to be right up there and they were sort of you know, there, but not really doing too much. So, um, yeah, good achievement. Um, massive step forward. So, you know, that's good for them, good for their sponsors, that sort of thing. Bad for their prospects next season because they get less wind tunnel and CFD time. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, th- I think they're probably on the on the um, the closer to than far away side of of car development i think they've got a very very good overall concept and they're not going to be struggling to fight to to figure out what's going on unlike a couple of other teams so um yeah fair play to fair play to alfa romeo so far they performed very very well um wouldn't be surprised if they become the sort of uh you know ferrari development or you know like junior to uh, hate using the term junior team but the Ferrari B team um it would make more sense from a branding perspective you know two Italian brands sort of working together um but then again Haas are right you know situated right next door at Maranello so um yeah bit of a bit of a um a weird situation for Alfa Romeo just given the way they're structured technically they are still Sauber but um as a marketing exercise it's going very well certainly is a very good marketing exercise uh, Louis, um, obviously, Joe Guanyu currently one point, um, but you know, a rookie this season. How long do Alfa Romeo, you know, give him the slack and just allow him to develop as a driver um, before you know it becomes a bit tedious waiting for him to, you know, start you know appearing in the points a bit more often. Yeah. Um... It's a weird one uh, with Joe because, I mean, if you look back at Monaco last weekend, he had miserable luck, uh, especially in qualifying. He couldn't get his um, his second qualifying run in um, in Q1 done, and that put him right at the back. Um, but he has shown sort of glimpses and you know of where he could potentially have some good pace and maybe uh, get some good performances um, in the future. But, you know, we're however many races in now. We're only, what, six races um, into the seven um, uh, races into the season now. And this is, uh, a, you know, a driver who 
never showed the greatest. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people really tipped him for much of an F1 seat, apart from the fact that he had a lot of money and had a lot of um, uh, Chinese um, sponsors uh, that were willing to pump a lot of investment into his F1 um, career. So I think that's where a lot of people were very sceptical about him coming into Formula One because of whether or not he really had the talent or not, or whether he's just going to be another pay driver like the two uh, Canadian clowns that we currently have uh, going around. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's it's hard to say with, Guan Yu, uh, with Joe Guan Yu. I think you have to give him at least a season. I think that's what you have to do with any rookie. No one's ever going to hit the ground. It's rare these days that we see rookies really hit the ground running and be competitive. It's such a, a step up from FC to Formula One, a completely different machinery. And it takes time to um, to get used to that. And I think, yeah, I give him to the benefit of the doubt at the end of the season. If he's still consistently not in the points and not really getting anywhere with them, um, with Alfa Romeo, then I think there is then questions of whether his seat is legitimate um, and maybe whether or not you, we should see maybe some, you know, Ferrari drivers, um, but Ferrari Academy drivers um, get a seat, maybe like the last temple chair, maybe should take that seat off him. Um, I think that's one that's heavily um, sort of looked at as a, as a good replacement for him. So, yeah, give him to the end of the season. If he starts picking up the pace and start getting some consistent points, which we know that Alfa Romeo is capable of, then, yeah, maybe keep him. But otherwise, it's looking pretty bleak. Well, they kept Giovinazzi for several seasons, so... You know, but he's think- the Italian Jesus. Like, you can't, you can't let him go. Well, they did. Um, <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> Uh, Sophia, let's look at Alpine. Obviously, El plan last week was, you know, keep Lewis behind. Do you think Fernando Alonso's game strategy for Baku this time around is just going to be get ahead and keep them behind? Yeah, uh, 100%. I think qualifying is going to play a key factor as well, similar to how Monaco does as well um, with how the track is. I, I mean, Fernando, I think... Because he even defended last season as well, quite well, um, in the race for the time being and everything. Um, I mean, yeah, Fernando is doing well. Obviously, that trade, like the image I've I've seen, and it's like two sections, and you have Fernando with everybody else, and then you had like the top four, like on opposite sides of the track, and and then the time difference, and then shot off, and then got third fastest lap of the entire race. His strategy and planning, though, is quite good. And I think also tire management will come into play as well with Baku being such a quite warm place as well. His age and his experience will show in this race. um, Again, street circuit as well. Done quite well. Streets, we'll see how it goes. With Alcon, though, I I don't know. It's it's very weird (laughs) because... He doesn't get like he's not shown much recently. He's just one of those drivers that is there. Like you don't see what's really happening behind, like during the races. You don't really see much camera feed. He's just one of those like hidden drivers, head down, foot down, keeping it a good race. And I think that might be kind of crucial what he needs this season as well. Is just a clean race and drive <laughs> um but alpine is doing quite well surprisingly i think in my opinion because i thought they were going to be quite lower um given but yeah overall doing quite well 
Yeah, and the majority of the points have actually come from Esteban Ocon, despite Steve. Um, I was going to say, you know, he's just sort of been just there for the season. But, you know, if you look at it from a statistical point of view, he is getting in the results that Alpine need to stay in this fight that they've got with the Alfa Romeos. But, um, yeah, like what's been happening with Esteban Ocon over the last couple of weeks? Um. Well, I'd love to tell you, but as um, Sophia pointed out, we don't actually see too much of him, so it's very, very hard to say. But he is, um, I, I think I've used this term from before. Um, he's just the sort of quiet achiever. I don't necessarily think it's fair to directly compare him to, you know, a pensioner. Um, sorry, Fernando. Um, but... It's a it's a weird team dynamic because you, you you get the impression that they're you know it's a French team you know title sponsor and effectively manufacturer badging as all the French manufacturer as well they've got their French driver but they're sort of pedestaling the Spanish bloke who won some championships back in the mid two thousands it just it's, a, it's an odd team dynamic, and I don't think they've quite got their head screwed on ever since. Um, I mean, ever since their leadership shuffle. I mean, Davide Bravio's there. He is the genius who bought Suzuki their MotoGP world title in 2020 from absolutely nowhere, and they're doing nothing with him. Um, it just it doesn't. There's some stuff happening in that team that just doesn't make a huge amount of sense. Um, bringing in Otmar Safnau, I think, made a massive amount of sense, though. He is a very reliable, you know, um, you know, very reliable head on a very, pair of very calm shoulders. Um, and he, he knows what he's doing. And I think, um, you know, if he, if he left, if he, had, if, if he had left Aston Martin and, and disappeared from the sport altogether, then, you know, I, I don't think that would be fair. So it's nice to have him around. But I don't think they're using much of the talent that they have at the higher end very effectively at all. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very, very confused about um, not just Ocon's sort of prospects for the rest of the year, but more as career prospects as well. He's still a young fella. Um, he gave up basically the world with Mercedes. He was, you know, he was, he had his foot, well, both feet in the door with Mercedes. He's now, you know, that those that's gone. That's not that's not happening. Mercedes have moved on to other drivers, um, and I just I'm not convinced that they're convinced that he's the guy they want, which is a massive shame because we've seen we've seen um, brilliant performances from Mr. Van Ockon. I mean, you look at Hungary. Uh, when was it? Twenty twenty. Um, or sorry, twenty one. No, it's twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty. Yep. Um, uh, like the 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 man can drive. Um, I think he can drive on a good day far better than the Spanish bloke. Um, but it just yeah, like I said, I just don't think they're putting much weight or faith or commitment behind him. And if they are, we certainly aren't seeing it. But that might just be a TV coverage thing. But I think it extends beyond just who we see in races. We just don't hear that much about him, and it's a shame because I think we need to see more. He's very good. I mean, if there is one thing that every F1 fan can agree on for, um, you know, a minute is that the TV direction over the last couple of years has been horrendous. Oh my God. <laughs> um, 
Monaco especially, but I believe they do it. Them, they have like something in their contractual clause that they're in charge of dealing with the TV. The, the, Mon- the Monegasque basically have their own sort of TV personnel and that sort of thing for it. And it shows because right as we get to a pass, we see Lance Stroll going over a curb or a celebrity. Yeah. I mean, and there are plenty of celebrities about, but, you know, there's also 20 of them driving around, you know, a circuit, which is mo- what most people are tuning in for. Um, you're you're paying the money to see them, yeah. 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 Louis, let's move on to Alpha Tauri, though. Um, obviously not as strong as a performance from 2022 so far as, you know, we had last time around in 2021. Um, obviously, very different car, still the same driver pairing. And more recently, it seems as though Yuki Tsunoda seems to be at least being a bit more consistent than Pierre Gasly, um, which is not what we're used to seeing at all. Yeah, that kind of sort of fell flat on his face in Monaco when he had an absolutely horrific weekend. Um, but no, Yuki has been slightly surprising for me. He has been, he's been getting there. Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's no denying that Yuki Tsunoda is, in terms of raw pace, is very fast, but he is just so prone to errors um, that it kind of just casts a massive shadow over all of the, the sort of the pace that he has. And yeah, we've seen, well, except from Monaco, we've seen sort of less um, sort of errors from Yuki. And yeah, I just... I just want him to be consistent because I think if he's consistent, because it's clear that this car isn't great. Gasly isn't performing as well as we're used to um, him being. So if, you know, if Yuki can start to at least look like he's getting closer to Gasly this year, look like he's being more, you know, being more consistent, being less, you know, prone to errors. He's had some, really uh, awful races where he's just absolutely destroyed his tyres. I think Spain comes to my way. He just could not keep his tyres in a temperature range. It kind of ruined his um, ruined his race. Um, there's definitely kinks that need to be um, ironed out in that Alpha Tari if they want to be as competitive as the Alpines in front of them, as the Alfa Romeos that are ahead of them. You know, teams that, after last year, we would have expected them to be either beating or at least being quite... Um, quite close to competitively so yeah it's a weird team (laughs) they're they're a weird team you never always quite know what to expect for them and then when you've got a driver like Yuki and who you quite never know how to expect from him from week to week uh, it can make for a quite odd team dynamic but if he is more consistent I think we would see a lot better um, race results from Yuki and also I'd hope Gasly uh, can slowly drag that car out of the pits from where it is at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It is very much a bit of a roll of the dice, um, trying to predict what Alpha Tower are going to do in the race weekend. But Sophia, um, Gasly was my driver of the day in Monaco last time out. You know, he made a lot of passes in a circuit where, you know, passing is pretty much impossible, as shown by um, a pensioner and, you know, a uh, goat, apparently. Um but, uh, you know, Pierre Gasly, obviously on the podium here last season, do you think he's got any chance of, as Louis said, you know, dragging that car out of the pits? 
I mean, Yuki's ahead of him by five points in the Constructors' Champion. This is what I was not expecting from Gazi. Like, Gazi was doing so well last season, and especially with this season as a make-or-break for him with regarding to where he's going to go, drive a contract. It's proving that he's just not showing up. He made simple mistakes in Miami, for example, with the two incidences. He's just not performing as well as he should be for somebody whose seat is on the line and whose contract's on the line. In the nicest way possible, he won't make he won't repeat last year. I think the weird format of podium last year with the different tire breaks, the magic button going off, and yeah, like the sub battle. As much as we all love sub sub battle, like unrealistic. I think the podium will be, but with Gasly, I don't know. It's just. I thought he was going to take his lead that he had last season and run with it to prove I'm the number one driver. I want like I want teams to come at me with contracts and seats. And with how he's performing, it's just not doing well. And again, like I said, Yuki's ahead of him in the constructors by five points. And it's Yuki, who, <laughs> who we saw in Monaco, was the cause of the yellow to green flag every five minutes. Like... I don't know. It, it, it's a weird one for him. Um, I hope he can finish in top 10 and get the points that he needs because he is a good driver, but he's just making careless mistakes. And I don't know if it's down to the car because obviously Yuki's doing the same, but then it's unrealistic to compare Yuki and Gasly in that kind of sense. Or if it's just like he's just making simple mistakes that shouldn't happen and there's not that much confidence and the stress and worry about where he's going to go maybe next year. And especially now with Perez being um, re-signed to 2024, this race will be crucial for him. He needs to finish in top 10, no doubt top 5, to kind of solidify that he is a great driver and is demanding a seat for next year. Yeah, absolutely. Now would be the time for him to start you know, bringing in those performances if he wants to make any, you know, ingrains on the driver market for next season. Um, Steve, Haas, a bit of a weird one. Started off the season very well. Um, Still only one driver with all of the points um, after a couple of crashes from Mick. Um, But K-Mag has certainly been, you know, he's had the bit between his teeth since he was brought back to the sport for 2022. Yeah, he probably wasn't expecting this uh, sort of January, February this year, was he? Just you know, he was prepping for uh, for the Peugeot Hypercar program, and I don't, I don't think he had any uh, any thought or intention of returning to Formula One. I think he had not burnt bridges, but I think he'd sort of shut that door mentally. Um, so that sort of solidifies what I'm about to say. I think he's done an incredible job, given you know such such short prep time. Um, he's been out of, you know, been out of the sport for a year. Doesn't sound like a long time, but we've seen drivers leave the sport for a while and come back. And you know, the, the results can be they can range from disastrous to why bother? So um, yeah, no, he's um, he's done well. Obviously, the I think the the development or the lack of development side of things is starting to catch Haas up now. Um, and Gunter Steiner has said that they're not in a rush to develop the car. And there's a very good reason for that. I think they can't afford to develop the car much further, um, which is a shame because it's got good bones. Um, Mick just needs to stop breaking them. Um, we've had two completely written off chassis now, um, so like like detached 
gearbox and rear crash structures. Um, that's expensive. Um, I can't imagine there's much more in the uh, in the coffer for major repairs, and I don't imagine they've got much more um, tubs left. Um, I, I, you know, they, they the teams will typically only construct somewhere between six and eight, um, depending on the team and their budget. So, you know, they've gone through two already. Um, we're not quite at the halfway point through the season. So um, on one side of the garage, it's a bit miserable. And on the other side of the garage, it's this um, Danish dude just sort of, you know, kicking ass, taking names and they haven't just, just sort of really enjoying it. He seems very revitalized and um, the team seems to gravitate around it very, very well. So um, I think regardless of the prospects of mix future with the team or in Formula One in general, they can at least lean on Kev to be a good team leader, which I think he he suits that role very well. I think he's more he's far more calm and level headed than Grosjean was, who was obviously prone to, you know, to outbursts of frustration. And, you know, we heard some very public spats between him and Gunter Steiner over you know, in the, in the, especially in the latter years when things were starting to go a bit wrong. Now that things are starting to swing back in the right direction, um, there's potential for them to, you know, get back to where they were. But um, I think their Achilles heel this, at this time is just a lack of money to actually put into the car. Um, I don't think we've seen any upgrades at all. Is that correct? I don't, I don't think, think we've had anything. Like not not even revised turning veins or anything like that. So um, I think at the I th- oh actually they may have introduced a new front wing end plate recently, but I think that's about it. So um, yeah, development's going to ham- going to going to hamper any sort of ideas of progress, and we can see them starting to shift backwards, um, sort of you know relative to the other teams. Um, uh, Sophia's just pointed out, so upgrades happening at Silverstone at the earliest. It's still a little while away. Um, and if that's at the earliest, we could get to, I don't know, seconds to last round of the season and they turn around and go, here's our new car, um, which is just utterly pointless. But um, I think Kev at least is having a really good time. Um, as a endurance racing nut, I was a bit sad to see him leave the Peugeot hypercar program. Um, but really really happy to see him back in formula one and it's nice to see him just enjoying it yeah absolutely and you know as you say it's hard to introduce upgrades that cost a lot of money when you know you've had at least two cars completely written off louis um i've come back to you again on the um not as much of a rookie but uh in his second season now you know how long is it until mick can still justifiably not have points <laughs> that that is a question because we are talking about Mick Schumacher here. you know he is Michael Schumacher's son and that name alone carries so much weight in this sport you know we're talking about one of the greatest drivers who'd ever um ever stepped into a Formula One car and his son who has been successful in lower categories you know he um he did win the F2 championship, which got him his seat into Formula One. There is some expectation that he would have done well. And I think people were let, uh, willing to let bygones be bygones last year because not only was that Haas car beyond woeful, but we all know that Mick is never really that competitive in his first year at any sort of 
level, it's always been the sort of the, the way his career has gone. Is the first season is his learning year, and the second season is where he really emerges. And this year, the only thing he's really emerged into is a wall, um, and it's it's not good when he's had a crash in his big crash in Saudi, which is you know, written his car off and a big crash in Monaco, which was another car off. And now we're going to a third street circuit where God forbid what happens if he then decides to bin another car. Um, I, I don't know what it is from, uh, what it is with Mick. Um, and I think people are going to be willing to give him a lot of time just because of who he is. And I imagine Haas will be willing to give him a lot of time because that name for their team is going to bring in a lot of money. Uh, I know their one-on-one uh, sponsorship deal that they have with uh, with Mick is, also, is worth a lot of money. And it's probably the only reason why Gene Haas is not uh, pulled the plug, um, you know, so far. It's It's a tricky one. And I think we all, you know, deep down want Mick to do well because he is a Schumacher and we want that name to continue in the sport. Um, so I think as a fan base, we are going to be willing to to give him a lot of time. You know, it took a, it took a while for George Russell to get his first points. There's no reason why we can't uh, let uh, Mick have his, his, you know, his time to, to get those points. But there will come a point where we realise okay, maybe enough is enough, but hopefully we never hit, hit that point. Yeah, absolutely. We hope that, you know, at some point Mick gets his actual racing boots on and, you know, gets a point, you know. The car certainly could do it. Um, just needs a clean race weekend um, and a strong race weekend. And, of course, we're going to a street circuit next as well. Uh, back-to-back street circuits. Sophia, uh, the Aston Martin, um, they seem to have finally at least got going, um, even if um, their their B-spec car for the season isn't quite performing the level they'd want it to. Um, One of the two Canadian clowns on the grid, as, you know, dubbed by Louis, uh, Lance Stroll is, you know, having the kind of season we expect to hear from Lance Stroll. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, obviously, you know, the 2022 car is just not delivering on his expectations. But, you know, is there anything that you think Aston Martin could pull out of the bag this weekend? Or, you know, are we expecting at least one DNF? I don't like the term of DNF. I don't like to see drivers not finishing, but it is stroll. (laughs) Um, As we joke about the two Canadians and the pay drivers and oh the radio when he got knocked out in qualifying Monica was like nails on a chalkboard to me um I I I just hope to be fair I won both Aston Martin's finish I would hope Vettel to finish in top 10 is that going to happen on both of those counts probably not because again Stroll was the one that had the first incident with the Pirelli tires last uh, last season Mind you, I hope Prelli's kind of gotten the act and sorted and won't happen again, but it wouldn't surprise me if he does spin into the wall at some point that whole weekend, whether it's free practices, qualifying, or the actual race. I like Vettel's ahead of him in points, but that's only three points, I think it is. Like Stroll has two from one race, I, or two 10th place finishes. I I think it's just going to be a quiet one. I think Aston Martin's being very similar to how Alcon is in the media recently. It's head down and 
if there's anything besides a spin slash crash or like a surprise, oh, top five or top 10, which has been novelly unheard of this season, that's when we're actually going to get some media coverage. It's going to be a quiet race for Aston Martin, I hope, which is keeping the head down, trying to finish both drivers, finishing maybe with one in the top 10, hopefully. Breaking news, Pirelli reintroduced the Hypersoft for the Baku circuit after, uh, you know, the exciting <laughs> end to the race that we got last time around. Um, <laughs> Imagine. Oh, just, <laughs> I think there'll be five DNFs in that case then. <laughs> oh, Baku 2017. Or oh, the F2 or GPT at the time. I can't remember which way around it went, but um, of 2016. And then we got <laughs> one of the most boring F1 races of all time. Um, Steve, uh, sticking with Aston Martin, um, what do you expect from them? Obviously, you know, touching on Sophia's points as well. Just a disaster. I don't know. Um, oh God, I'm kind of hoping for some controversy so we can get like another Lawrence Stroll kidnap plea video sort of thing going on. Cause that was just spicy. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, we can joke all day. We can make the joke that Seb's back driving a Red Bull for all I care because, I mean, they've basically taken that design and sort of, you know, done their own very loose interpretation of it. Um, the They've done this before. They've copied homework. They haven't understood it and it's not quite worked out. And it's just, how long are we going to keep doing this? And I don't know. I just, for a team that sort of demands to be taken seriously, they're not, to me, they're not making many steps in the direction of we actually, how do I word this? It almost feels like the, the, the name Aston Martin doesn't belong just purely on the, on the, on the grounds that the performance doesn't match the history of the brand or it. Like they've never done well in formula one. They've done incredibly well in every other discipline that they've applied themselves to, like, you know, prototypes or, you know, GT3 or whatever it may be. Uh, they've done very well. Um, it's sort of, a, it's almost a shame to see uh, such a, you know, a, a well-known and prestigious brand almost dragged through the mud by, uh, a, you know, by a business magnet who sort of thinks throwing money at the problem is going to solve it i i just it's it's really really tricky one driver doesn't belong there but he's there because of nepotism the other driver is there with his career wasting away because it, it the, the car just simply doesn't work he doesn't work with the car car doesn't work for him you, you can swing it both ways the result's the same um it's just incredibly frustrating to watch. And I was expecting far more from this team. When we saw that A-spec car, when they did their livery reveal, my first thought was, if that is as fast as it looks, every other manufacturer needs to be incredibly worried. It's not worked out. <laughs> They're obviously trying again with a design. They were apparently working on in tandem with the first one. I'm very sorry. I call bollocks on that because it, it's it's the Red Bull. Um, but it just, it's not worked. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I just don't know where to start. I don't know where to finish either because I feel like I'm just going to start going around in circles, but it's just, it's frustrating. And I would laugh if it wasn't for the fact that these performances, if they continue, 
that's a few hundred people out of a job potentially if that team folds and nobody picks them up. I mean, economically, globally, things aren't great right now. I wouldn't be surprised if a team were to fold and nobody steps in to fill the fill that spot and we're down to 18 cars and nine teams. It just that's just it's not feasible. So um they really need to get their act together and soon they need to honestly get rid of stroll need to get rid of both strolls if i'm honest but i mean one of them owns the damn team so we can't really do much there and they need to sort of accommodate the other driver that they have who's a four times world champion and kind of knows what he's doing so just yeah it's all i have to say without getting it without it getting very r-rated so we'll just leave it there (laughs) yeah um louis let's look at uh williams um Back, still at the back of the grid, despite you know all of their preseason hype. Um, three points, all scored by Alex Albon. Um, what do you do? You think Williams can get off the back this uh, time around? Um, no, uh, it's a it's a sad thing to say about Williams because you know, after last year, we think it's so promising. You know, we could. Um, could be really looking at a team that could do well, but unfortunately their, their success last year has kind of hindered them for this year because of course of the rules of the less wind uh, tunnel time, less development that they could then put onto this car. It was, it was kind of a, a blessing and a curse for, uh, for Williams. But, um, you know, I think we have to respect what Alex Albon's doing. Um, you know, he's not, totally helpless in that car he is actually doing well he's scoring the points he's you know doing what we pretty much what we saw from George Russell uh in that Williams you know just trying to get absolutely everything out of it you know consistently um putting his teammate to shame and you know I think Alex will regardless of where the William finished I think he can walk away from most weekends with his head held high knowing that he did a good job unfortunately the uh the other the other driver um definitely sh- uh, should start um worrying about his seat um because I think it's starting to become clear that he is not good enough he's not cut out and when Williams have someone maybe like Nick DeFries who could uh, step into that seat or God forbid Roy Nassani with all of his money. Um, <laughs> you know, his seat is going to be under, under real threat. So uh, yeah, I think we need to really, instead of looking at oh how badly Williams, is, I think we need to start really looking at how badly Latifi is doing and how much he's dragging that team down because clearly there's something in that car because Albon is getting, you know, decent performances out of it especially after a year not doing anything and then coming back to a different you know brand of car um i did appreciate your tweet in monaco about you know the two representatives of canada just letting the entire country down um but sophia we obviously talked about it in the monaco um grand prix review um nicholas latifi is just not performing at all in that Williams and you know obviously now that Williams have that financial situation resolved how long do you think it'll be before we you know see an actual change in that driver lineup happen 
I think the biggest thing will probably come to it is when, because we all know Lucy V is going to spin and crash at some point as well. It, it's we still have a decent amount of races to go forward. I think it's when it reaches the threshold of how much money he's putting in to how much it's being spent on costs and repairs on top of the innovation as well. Once it gets to where it's almost equal, the amount of money that Latifi and his family, well, dad, is putting money into Williams to the cost of how much it is to repair and upgrade and all that, that's when things are going to be questioned a bit more. This could be the last season. I, I, do, I hope, actually. I do hope this is Latifi's last season in the nicest way possible. There are so many drivers who are needing or should deserve. I've said multiple times on like the Everything F1 podcast, Oscar Piastri, like he has done so well, something that not many drivers have ever accomplished, winning F3 in rookie, winning winning F2 in his rookie as well, to then take a backside seat in Alpine and not even getting any kind of opportunity. You even have this season as well, Felipe Djokovic, who is not affiliated. He could be perfect for Williams because, yes, obviously Williams is affiliated with Mercedes to an extent. It still was a good spot for somebody who is doing so well in F2 and so much raw talent. And I understand funding, money talks, money is king in F1, but you're going to start losing fans. You're going to start dealing with the media and people in higher up saying like, this is not fair. This is not right. It could be, obviously we made the step of changing, allowing rookies coming into practices twice. But even then, I don't think that should have even happened. It, it's not enough. George Russell's even commented on it as well, saying it's not enough for these drivers to learn, adapt into the F1 seats. But with, oh, yeah, with Latifi, I have all the great drivers talking about Danny's money twice. Um, it's just not performing well at all. He's one of the other two drivers that have not, got any points he didn't get any points last season he's not even made out to q3 last season or this season he's not performing well and again it's only because of his money that he even has it but even then how far will that go it it won't be substantial enough especially with the cost caps and everything becoming so much more expensive and the cost of everything and the travels and equipment and everything it's just not going to be enough and yeah i I want it to be his last season in the nice, nicest way possible. He can go some, somewhere else. He can go Formula E. Cool. Or DTM or IndyCar. Like, he can do something else. Like, there is potentially opportunities for him. Go to the ovals in IndyCar. Perfect. Just need to left corners and that's it. Um, and hopefully not hit the wall. Uh, yeah. Like I said, last season, I hope, and get somebody new in from F2 or even from reserve drivers this season. Um, Roy Nassani, maybe, but he's not doing well in F2 at all. Uh, Nick DeVries, I don't see him moving from Formula E into Formula 1, but that's my opinion. But definitely get some new blood into it for this uh, upcoming season, for sure. Yeah, and if one thing's for sure, they will be drinking a different coffee in the Williams garages, um, you know, from 2023. No more Lavazza. Um, maybe some proper coffee at some point. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, now that we've gone through the uh, teams, we need to start looking at some predictions for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. So, Steve, um, who's going to be on the top step for you on Sunday? 
Roberto Moreno in the uh, Andrea motor. No, I'm kidding. No, in Formula um, One. <laughs> that, that was Formula One for a year in 1992. Just marvelous season. Uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Charles. Um, I think he'll be a bit. Be a bit angry uh, after Monaco. Um, if he keeps anger in check, then yeah, I've, I think he'll be um, he'll be pretty good there. So um, yeah, that'll be my pick. Yeah, and hopefully no, I am stupid moments, Louis. Or, your top step, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would I would love to say Charles, but uh, unfortunately, the Ferrari strategy team has uh, you know <laughs> made me lose faith in Ferrari's. Uh, ability to you know genuinely compete um but to be honest ah it, it's a difficult one i i'm gonna put max but i'm gonna say it's, it's gonna be very close and i'll explain my podium sophia <laughs> i was torn between those two um as well i think charles will have a lot of rage to try to put it on to top step but I think overall it will be Max based off of how well last season was for him. If it wasn't for the Pirelli issue, he probably would have gone top step. So I think it will be Max. I'm going to make my uh, bold prediction now at the same time. And I'm going to say George Russell for a win because why not? Um, you know, last, last, year, last season it was George Russell for points. Now it's George Russell for the win. Um, so yeah, the rest of your podium then, please, Steve. Uh, I said Charles for the win, so I'm going to be really boring and say um, for Stappen and then Chico. So Lech Ver Pair, it's the new yeah. acronym. <laughs> um, Louis, the rest of your podium, please. So yeah, I'm going to go P2 Charles just because I think he'll get pole, but I think he'll then lose the race on the, <laughs> on the Sunday through some a uh, magical Ferrari master plan. And then P3, I'm going to go... Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of go with you, Ruby, but I'm going to go George Russell for P3. You know, never finished outside the top five this season, could get a podium. Exactly. It's been very consistent. And as long as, you know, he keeps his nose out of trouble and other people ahead of him that don't keep their nose out of trouble, um, you know... Miracles have happened before in Formula One. Sophia, the rest of your podium, please. I feel like I'm piggybacking on Louis because I've literally like wrote it down for doing some work for everything I've won my podium. So um, I think it's going to be Max, Charles, and George for sure. That's uh, <laughs> I feel really bad. Like I've always, I've been piggybacking on you twice now in this podcast. Um, but yeah, that's my prediction as well. Ah. Uh. Max, Charles, and George. Well, I'm, I've already, you know, put Russell P1 in a very bold prediction. Um, and then I'm going to say Leclerc and Sainz, hoping for a lack of Red Bulls on the podium myself. Um, but, you know, I've already got my bold prediction out of the way. So, Steve, your bold prediction for this weekend, please. Both Mercs out in Q2. Well, that'll definitely stop my ball prediction. I just, uh, I, I, I think with the uh, with the track layout, and that, um, just going back quickly to what I said earlier, they're really going to struggle to actually get that car stopped once it starts bouncing. Which I think that porpoising is going to return this weekend. 
unless they slam it on the ground and then get a different kind of bouncing and the result's the same. Very valid observations. Louis, your bold prediction for this weekend, please. I'm going to stick with my with my bread and butter uh, uh, prediction of a uh, King Nicholas Latifi for points. You'll get oh, it. You'll get it. Are you sure? <laughs> it's, it's, it's bold. There's, there's bold He's predictions. Sco- and then he there's... scored points last season. There's no reason why he can't do it again. <laughs> and how many drivers didn't finish that race because <laughs> of it? <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, Sophia, your bold prediction, please, to round I... us off. Um, I think... Ooh. I think both passes in the points. So I would say maybe P7 and P10, if I had to go specifics. Get even more specific, which driver's P7? Oh, Kevin Magnuson. Sorry, uh, Kevin Magnuson, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite drivers. So I always put him above. As much as I love Mick and I like that, like him in general, it's going to be P10 and it might be by a five-second penalty from somebody else. It might be that. Another bold on top of a bold. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but yeah, that is our predictions for the weekend. So now it's an opportunity to um, for you guys to promote, you know, where you're from and where people can find you if they want. So Steve, let's start off with you. Um, obviously representing Formula Shakedown. We have a podcast again. It's a miracle. And it's a completely different flavor because we cover we cover all the other stuff that we do on the other Shakedown pages. So um, Formula Shakedown is part of basically a wider group of uh, motorsport pages on Facebook. So you can find us on Formula Shakedown, Motor Shakedown, if you're into bikes and MotoGP and superbikes and Endurance World Series and that sort of thing. And then we've got Shakedown, which is... Um, uh, GTs, prototypes, um, IMSA, that sort of thing. So uh, come find us. Basically, the idea of Shakedown is to have a wholesome, healthy motorsport community where you get the uh, the people who wish harm on drivers and so on and so forth to uh, just, yeah, we, just get away from them. Um, so if you want to get away from them, come and join us. But if you're one of the nuffies who likes to wish harm on any driver, even if they are, frankly, terrible behind the wheel, um, don't bother. Thanks. Yeah, stay away from uh, those people as well in general. Um, Louis, uh, where can people find stuff that you do? What do you do? I present this uh, mostly. <laughs> um, I'll be honest. So if you want to see uh, see more from me, make sure to subscribe to Grid Talk Podcast on YouTube and on Spotify and iTunes and all your favourite podcasting places. <laughs> Very succinct. <laughs> uh, and Sophia, you're here representing Everything F1. Yep. So we are on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok now um, under the username um, Everything F1 or join EF1. We have a website uh, that posts articles daily, F1, F2, F3 related. Um, and that's www.everythingf1.com. We do a weekly podcast that gets filmed live on Tuesdays and then released on Wednesdays. We've had some great uh, guests such as like Callum Eilat, Lucas Degrassi, to name two or three. Um, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go and check it out. And 
similar to Louis, I mostly just present this podcast. Um, so to copy Louis, make sure you're subscribed on all the podcast platforms that we post on. Um, but also, if you want to follow me on socials, it's at Rubes, R-U-U-B-E-Z. Maybe add a 001 if someone got to me there first. Um, but you'll figure out, you know, there's only one Ruby price. Um, but on that note, Grid Talk is available on YouTube, where most episodes are recorded live. As you know, you will see if you are currently watching this live stream. Um, and we will, you know, maybe get to a post show if, uh, you know, enough of you are around for it. But we're also as well on Amazon Fire. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Verbal, Omni Studio, and Pocket Casts. Just search F1 Grid. Just search Formula One Grid Talk for our back catalogue of shows with previews and reactions to qualifying and the race results. Please consider supporting the channel on Patreon so we can get mics, lights, and better recording equipment. You can get your hands on some official Grid Talk merchandise on f1chronicle.com forward slash store. And also make sure you subscribe to the first to know when each new episode is released. Um, we'll be back soon with plenty of more F1 content. Thank you very much to the panelists for joining me. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.